one for podcasting. Live from the DraftKings Sportsbook and Wild Rose Studio, this is Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO. And now on 106.3 FM. Welcome back, Miller and Condon, 1460 KXNO, 106.3 on the FM dial. We take you until noon. Scott Dockerman from The Athletic coming up in 20 minutes. Carrie Miller, Bleacher Report momentarily. Somebody just called during the break, Trent, and reminded me of 1980. Mm-hmm. We had no social media. So right. even though the game was delayed, uh, I believe his name is Mike, um, we didn't. Nobody knew what was about to unfold on their televisions as you settled in to watch it. Because it was played in the afternoon. It was played in the afternoon. Yeah, played in the afternoon and 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 uh, replayed at night. And newspapers, mm-hmm. print in the morning. There was no Twitter. There were afternoon newspapers, but it wouldn't yeah, have got to you in time. Made, would not right. have made it. Would not have made. It. We were an afternoon newspaper, um, but. Yeah, that was crazy. Looking so forward to getting yesterday's box scores. Right. Right, they're warming up for tonight's game, and you're so pumped. But, uh, you know, just remi- it just reminds you of what 1980 was like. Yeah. I had no idea that the U.S. was about to go out and beat that uh, team of uh, um, pros, as you called them, and they were. Six weeks before I was born. Is that a fact? Six weeks before Jeez. my birthday. Uh, let's get to Kerry Miller. We'll talk basketball. Kerry from Bleacher Report. Kerry, thanks for coming on. Thanks for being patient. Uh, we appreciate it. How are you? Hey, I'm doing well. Good to be with you guys. Good to be with you. Uh, I watched Michigan and Ohio State. Uh, not a fan of either team, just a fan of the Big Ten and, 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 and terrific basketball. Boy, was I ever entertained yesterday. Wasn't that a phenomenal game amongst maybe the third and fourth best teams in the country? Kerry, would you go there? Yeah, definitely. I mean, certainly Michigan is the third best, and Ohio State has more than enough quality wins at this point i think they've proven that they they might be the fourth best team we'll see they would be the fourth overall seed right now in my opinion mm-hmm. and i think in the opinion of a lot of bracketologists even in spite of that loss but that was a that was a heck of a game um i was surprised at how high scoring it was yeah and i thought michigan's defense would kind of hold its own as opposed to ohio state's offense taking over but you really saw the uh, the Achilles heel of Ohio State there. I mean, they've really struggled on defense throughout mm-hmm. this season, but you know, you guys know that very well in Iowa. <laughs> yeah. it's like to have a super efficient <laughs> offense and a questionable defense. Yeah, two teams that are built very similarly. Though the Iowa defense has played better here over the last two weeks, mm-hmm. and they're never going to be a great defensive team. Luca Garza, foot speed's an issue. He gets caught in screen and rolls. He's got trouble there. Bohannon, same thing. But if they're just competent because of what they are offensively, they can go a long way. What is the ceiling in your mind for the Iowa Hawkeyes? All right, so I just looked up this stat last night. I'm I'm quoting off the top of my head. I might have it wrong, but I tweeted about it. But in the last 16 NCAA tournaments, there have been 28 teams who were top five offense but outside the top 50 in defense. None of them have made the Final Four, so okay. I don't. I don't. I don't want to say that's their ceiling. Mm-hmm. But recent history suggests that you know probably Elite Eight. Now, most likely they would. Right now, I would say they're a two seed. Uh, I have them at number eight overall. They're probably going to be the two seed opposite Gonzaga. So in that scenario, yeah, the Elite Eight is probably their ceiling because mm-hmm. if they run into Gonzaga again, they're probably going to lose that game. But that's a you know it's one of those teams that just feels like. As long as the offense is clicking, they can win. But and defense just inevitably becomes 
paramount in the NCAA tournament. You know, by by the third or fourth game, you've got to defend your way through one of them. And uh, I don't know if Iowa or Ohio State can do that. Uh, Illinois seems to be lurking out there. I know right now, record wise, they're they're second uh, in the conference. But you know, watching Michigan and Ohio State, and there was a ton of Ohio State love. This Illinois team, might they be the team that comes out of the Big Ten when it's all said and done, Kerry? Yeah, it definitely could be. I mean, seriously, the top four in the Big Ten, just throw them in a hat. Roll a, roll a four-sided die, yeah, throw yeah. them in a hat, whatever, if you don't want to go the Dungeons and Dragons route with picking <laughs> them. <laughs> yeah, I mean, when at least Illinois plays pretty good defense. Uh, my concern, definitely with Illinois, is what are they going to get beyond DeSumo and Coburn in any given mm-hmm. night? Because when they had that I think it was the Nebraska game. I know they've also struggled right. with Northwestern recently, but in the Nebraska game, it was, I think, DeSumo and Coburn combined for like 52 points, and they still went to overtime mm-hmm. with a team that basically doesn't even try in the big game. Right. Night. So that was, that was really concerning. Uh, you know, we've seen a few times throughout the season, maybe once a month, they just have a game where nobody else decides to show up. So how late can they get into the tournament before that happens? And, I mean, if there's a Kemba Walker guy, it's Desunmu this year. Uh, he can carry them, but is he going to get enough help? That's my big question. You know, uh, I was looking at your latest article at Bleacher Report talking about teams built to bust brackets, make that advancement. And one jumped off to me, and it's Colorado State. We know Nico Medved from his one-year stop over here at Drake University. but Was he Valley Coach of the Year that year? I think he I was. I think he was, too. And yep. The job that he did before that and coming here to Drake and now at Colorado State, there's some, I think, uh, people maybe looking over to Fort Collins, people located maybe in Ames looking for a potential new coach. But in the here know that now this Colorado State team, how they're built, maybe you're looking for one of those sleepers. And secondly, the rising star, if you will, of Nico Nedved. Yeah, I, I keep getting questions from uh, like Penn State and Boston College mm-hmm. Market. Uh, like, what, who's the the up-and-coming coach, and I keep saying Nico Medved and Drake. I, I mean them separately, but I, I'm just like forever tied to his one year at Drake for some reason. Mm-hmm. But he, you know, from Colorado State, obviously he's done a great job there. Um, you know, the, the reason I had them in the the built to bust brackets article is they're just one of the most three point reliant teams in the country. I think they're the only team that's top twenty five in both uh, percentage of shots that come from three point range and three point. Uh, field goal percentage so you know if you're looking for that you know right now they would be an 11 or a 12 seed if you're looking for that type of team that could just like catch fire and, and make it to the sweet 16 i think that's a very good candidate and you know when uh when two months from now whenever when the uh coaching carousel is in full swing i, I think nico is going to be a popular name on that i do too uh so let's go to the valley for a second drake's waiting on potentially more devastating news with roman penn who may join uh tank hemphill in street clothes uh watching for the remainder of the season i know hemphill there's whispers that maybe he'll be back if they get to the ncaa tournament penn uh, such a huge blow from yesterday we'll see nothing official they'll play tonight there's no way he's going to play at least you wouldn't assume against evansville but the conference itself Watching Loyola, watching what they did to Drake on that Saturday, and they couldn't, uh, you know, finish the deal and uh, finish the sweep on Sundays. The game goes to overtime, and Drake is able to pull it off as they played phenomenal defense down the stretch. Might Loyola be one of those teams that, um, you know, and I'm not saying that they're going to get back to where they were a few years ago, but this might be a team that's, you know, built for a, a second weekend at the very least. Yeah, definitely. I mean, well, I'm very curious to see where they end up being seated. I feel like 
every year there's that one team, and it's often the team from the Valley. It used to be Wichita State in the past, where if they get seated where you know Ken Palm and the metrics think they should be, everybody's going to pick them to lose right away. But if they get seated the way the committee usually does it, they end up like a ten or eleven seed. You're going to have this weird, you know, dichotomy where it's like, oh, they're they're going to make the elite eight. They're this year's sleeper team, the exact same team, but based on where they're seated, you kind of change your expectations for them. I have them as a a six seed right now, and I think I'm even higher than the vast majority of people on them, but. I, I feel like if there's a a team that's going to make it to the Elite Eight, surprisingly, it's going to be somewhere in that 6-11 to 11, uh, range. Somebody who comes out of that first-round game, I think Loyal Chicago could definitely be that team because they are so, so tough to score against. I mean, I think part of it is just the Missouri Valley in general doesn't have great offenses, so we're kind of seeing that right now. Um, you know, they struggled a little bit on defense against Wisconsin and Richmond, but that was early in the year. They've They've clearly improved since then, and man, what they were able to do to even though Drake didn't have uh, Tank Empill for the the second of those games, just to to hold that offense to 51 points in an overtime game, is pretty remarkable, and says a lot about what they could do in the tournament. Which was, you know, three years ago that was their calling card. I don't think they gave up more than 65 points until the Final Four. Talking right now with our man, Kerry Miller, Bleacher Report, as we take a look around college basketball. Kerry, I, I want to jump into this avenue with you, and it's that next tier of team. We know the favorites, Gonzaga and Baylor. We know the Michigans and Ohio States of the world, the teams that are good. But we're getting into the team that's going to be a six seed, maybe a major conference team, a seven or an eight or nine that can pull that upset in the round of 32. Do you have any of those teams that you're spotlighting the – that also runs kind of the major conferences you think still have a good march in front of them? Yeah, I think, I believe I had Clemson in that built to bus brackets article. They're looking like a seventh seed right now okay. where they, in the second half of January, when they came back from a COVID pause, they were awful. I think they went, they lost four games by a combined like 98 points, something absurd. And that killed them in the metrics. They're like outside the top 50 on Ken Palm right now, but, they usually, outside of those four or five games, have a really good defense. And you know, as we were saying earlier, that's kind of what it takes to, to make a deep run. You've got to be able to defend. Um, I also think Creighton, I think they're probably in the four or five seed range, mm-hmm. but that's a team that, you know, similar to Colorado State, but more well-rounded than them. But you know, we know full well that Greg McDermott's teams love to take and make a lot of threes. Uh, they did that when they knocked off Villanova. Uh whatever that was a week and a half ago. Uh, when they're hitting shots, they're, they're lethal. They always have been. So I think we'll see where they end up in the seeding. Uh, but if they're four or five, definitely a Sweet 16 team that, that, that could at least you know put the fear of God into that one seed, whoever they match, get matched up with. Uh, is Duke going to make the tournament? We'll see what happens tonight. Uh, I, have the, I have a projected bracket coming out tomorrow, and right now I have first team out is reserved for whoever wins the Duke-Syracuse game, mm-hmm. fifth team out for whoever loses it. So either way, they'll be in the conversation. I think I know they still play at North Carolina, which would be a quality win. I think they play at Louisville as well. Maybe that's a home game, but definite opportunity still to improve what has been a very disappointing resume up until that win over Virginia on Saturday. But you know, right when the, the Jalen Johnson news came out, Everybody, you know, kind of freaked out about it. I was like, well, uh, I can see a little Rashid Suleiman parallel. Mm-hmm. You know, lose the guy that was kind of, you know, 
an off-the-court distraction, and all of a sudden the team comes together. Uh, I ended up writing about that. And right now it looks good because they won their first two games without Jalen, mm-hmm. but we'll, we'll see what they're able to do from here on out. Addition by subtraction, maybe. He's a good player, but uh, just wasn't working out there. All right, one more are they going to make the tournament, and that's the Gophers who, you know, Christmas night they knocked off the Hawks. Uh, they're a different team at home, clearly. Uh, what about the Gophers? Uh, what, what do they have to do to get another Big Ten team in? Yeah, I I still have them in for okay. now, and I think that's in large part because I had them as like a five or six seed less than a month ago, and I'm I'm more hesitant to just knock teams down. But I think nine of their ten losses were by double digits. Obviously, we all know they don't have a road win all season. Um, they did add a road game against Nebraska, uh, not added, but it got rescheduled from earlier. So they will get finally a chance to win a road game. But if they lose that one, they're definitely done. Um, I, I think they. They probably need to go at least three and one down the stretch. They they absolutely have to go two and zero this week against Northwestern and Nebraska, um, just to if nothing else avoid having twelve losses heading into the Big Ten tournament. Uh, but I, I think Maryland is going to get in a team with ten losses right now. Stanford is still in the hunt with nine losses. Indiana's still in the mix with ten losses. So it's not necessarily a a volume of losses thing for Minnesota, but. Man, when they lose, it gets ugly. And I think the committee, as much as they love to talk about the, the proverbial eye test uh, and how much they love to ding teams for not playing well on the road, I mean, Minnesota's right in their crosshairs <laughs> for both of those reasons right now. Not going to play any games at the barn this year. They'll all be in Indiana and uh, not taking Williams Arena with them. All right, Doug Carey, my <laughs> final thing for you is this. So it was, what, a week, week and a half ago that – Gonzaga talking about potentially not playing in the WCC tournament. And mm-hmm. you had them, well, they can come up to Spokane and play us. There was that kind of conversation. BYU got in the mix. I believe by the end of this week, all the conferences have to announce how they are going to hand out their bid. The automatic bid mm-hmm. would be for a regular season conference title or, or a tournament title. How does this play out? And not just for the WCC, but as a whole, do you anticipate we're going to see even a handful of teams, good teams, say we're not going to the conference tournament. Yeah, I'm, I'm honestly not sure yet. I mean, right now for for bracketology projection reasons, I'm I'm assuming that full tournaments will happen. I kind of doubt it will. I think there will be teams like Gonzaga or Houston or um, I'm trying to think of a couple others on top of my head, but just like a Baylor. Like, what's what's the point in risking injury? What's the point in risking seeding? Um, especially in this season when you kind of have that out built in. I mean, you're not necessarily afraid of uh, getting COVID infection. You can just say that mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and it'll you know, be swept under the rug. So we'll, we'll see what happens. It is the end of the week. I believe it's the 26th um, until everybody has to make their decisions. I, I hope that there are some conferences that get creative with it though. Um, you know, up until a couple of years ago, the Ivy league just gave it to their, their regular season champ, then they decided to make it just the top four teams get to go. Um, I, I wouldn't mind at all if there are some some of the mid-majors decide to do that to try and get their best foot forward and, and still you know, get some of that tournament revenue without just deciding to give it to the regular season champ. But we'll, we'll find out in about four or five days here what everyone's going to do. Hopefully it's not 
too insanely messy. Uh, last thing for me, I want to finish up with the Big 12. Obviously, Baylor gets back on the floor tomorrow. They're going to take on Iowa State, which is just what the doctor ordered in a return yeah. uh, to play after three weeks. Um, but but after Baylor, who who's next? I mean, I watch West Virginia do, do what they did to Texas. Kansas, seemingly, their light has gone on. Uh, Oklahoma, uh, they've got some warts, but they're clearly a different team when Reeves is able to play, and he was he missed some time due to COVID. Who's the second best team in the Big 12? I think right now it is Kansas. Um, they've won five straight. I granted three of those were against Iowa State and Kansas State. Can't make too much out of those, but if you watch them, I mean, David McCormack is finally, he is what we thought he was going to be at the beginning of the season. He really struggled the first month and a half or so, but he's coming into his own. I think he's got a double-double in something like seven of his last eight games. And then Jalen Wilson, who was really hot early in the season, cooled off throughout January. He's picking back up. So they've got that, you know, that, that two bigs. Uh, Jalen's more of a, a stretch four, but you know, Bill Self always loves to have two big men who can rebound, really play in the paint. All five of their starters average double figures. I, I think they're finally starting to put it together. Uh, obviously, at the right time of year to do that. But if they, if they were to win at Texas tomorrow night and then beat Baylor on Saturday there's an outside chance they could sneak into the one-seed conversation mm-hmm. still. I mean, they don't have any bad losses, and it is Kansas that mm-hmm. name power, even though the committee says they erase the names. It's going to hold some some little bit of weight if they have a win over Baylor on their resume. So certainly not sleeping on the Jayhawks, even though we've had a lot of negative to say about the Blue Bloods as a whole this mm-hmm. season. Indeed we have, and you know what? That's all right for one year. I think college basketball is better when everybody's all the Blue Bloods are participating or are factors, but for... For one, and I know this wouldn't be the consensus opinion a lot of folks like when they're down and hope that they stay down. But I like those guys when they participate. Uh, Kerry, great stuff. Uh, Kerry Miller, BleacherReport.com. Kerry, thank you for coming on. Uh, we appreciate it. Look forward to talking to you again. You got it. Take care. Yeah, good to talk to you. Kerry Miller, as we talk a little hoops. Um, who's the second best team in the Big 12? Is it Kansas? West Virginia. You could be right, Trent. You I've been on be for right. a while. They- yep. And they have been able to find a way to... Tough team. How about Saturday? Crazy. They were... Well, Texas fighting amongst themselves didn't help. Yeah. How much time was left when that happened? About 10 oh, minutes? Oh, there was, yeah. There was 12 some, minutes, maybe? It was the, but it, it certainly jump-started the, their downfall and West Virginia's comeback. And I just hated to see that. Yeah. Andrew Jones. I, oh, his whole story. Yeah. About that. Never dawned on me. It did. And it just it made me feel uncomfortable. Uh-huh. It shouldn't. I mean, he's, he's a teammate. I mean, te- right. You have- and there was clearly a foul at the end of the game. Oh. I mean, geez, geez, <laughs> it's like they, it was like a high five. I mean, is that that type of foul? But yeah. it's, you know, it's you're, they're going to swallow the whistles. Maybe the most entertaining game of Saturday was that one. What well, I, I think the most entertaining game of the weekend was was Michigan yes. Ohio State. Yes. Yeah, that was a pretty good game. That was a pretty good game. I think that won the Saturday for me. Yeah, not bad. All right, we'll come back. Uh, Scott Dockerman will join us next. It's time for another thousand dollar slam dunk. Text the keyword game to two hundred two hundred. It's your chance to win a thousand dollars. That's game. Reminds me of that commercial with, uh, oh God, Myers and uh, Mike Myers and oh oh God, yeah, the guy from SNL, Wayne and Garth, Garth, yeah, yeah, those guys. Tonight I'll be eating from game, right? Uh, Let's do it again. Text the keyword game to two hundred two hundred right now. It's your chance at a thousand dollars. That's game to two hundred two hundred. 
You'll get a confirmation text and info. Standard data and message rates apply in this nationwide contest. Uh, Noreen Condon back with uh, Scott, Scott Dockerman on 1460 K. Johnny on the spot there. <laughs> and 106. We haven't quite hit March, but that doesn't mean college basketball fun has to wait. DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app, is giving all new players a chance to cash $100. Check this out. New customers bet $1 on any team to hit a three-pointer in any basketball game this week. And if your team knocks it home, boom, bang, $100. All it takes, one three-pointer to be hit by your chosen team to turn $1 into $100. Sounds like a no-brainer. Now this slam dunk offer won't be around forever so head to the app store now download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and get in on all the action download that DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use the promo code KXNO for your shot to turn $1 into $100 when you bet on any team to hit a three-pointer in any basketball game this week must be 21 or older Iowa only new customers only restrictions apply winners paid out in four $25 free bets see DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details gambling problem call 1-800. Products not available in every state. Ken Miller, Trent Condon, Miller and Condon on 1460 KXNO. And now on 106.3 FM, this is KXNO. Right, 11.30 on a Monday, Miller and Condon, Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO. 106.3 on the FM dial. Let's get Scott Dockerman in here from The Athletic. He was part of the, what did you say, 550 fans? What, yeah, right in that range, the announced attendance at Carver-Hawkeye. Right, plus a number of media in attendance to witness it. Uh, but, Doc, before we get to that, and great to talk to you as always, uh, your piece on Justice Sullivan. Uh, Scott, you're, you're an incredibly talented writer. That was, uh, I don't know how you came up with the idea, but boy, oh, boy, I had no idea about the backstory. If you're a fan of the Hawkeyes or if you're a fan of of uh, great writing, uh, and if you're a subscriber to The Athletic, I, I would click on that story in a heartbeat. Doc, it was incredibly well done. Uh, what what uh, gave you the idea? Well, thanks for having me on, and I appreciate the kind words. The, you know, I, I've known about Justice Sullivan from... You know, uh, really, when he committed, you knew that there was a backstory there, and a few other people had written uh, things about it. But it wasn't until I really got a chance to, to talk to him before he came to Iowa City, and he really explained his whole life and his upbringing and what life was like for him in Ghana and his original name and the village that he was at and the fact that he was basically a cast aside, uh, you know, and, and in some cases, threatened to be killed, that you really started to understand that this was such a serious topic for him and really shaped him the way it was. And and then, of course, talking to, you know, Jake Sullivan, you know, former Iowa State great mm-hmm. and, you know, and, and one of the great AAU, co- you know, coaches and organizers in the country that, you know, you, you really understood the depth of what they're doing and, and kind of the combination of there's just so many incredible storylines, you know, the fact that, you know, Jake Sullivan's going to have to wear an Iowa Hawkeye sweatshirt. Is funny enough as it is, but right. just the the uh, the entire what what they're doing in Ghana is just is, is incredible. Yeah. I mean, the the fact that they're building schools and yeah. and centers for for women and for orphans, and it's just a really important and, and interesting storyline. So 
yeah, I was just hoping that I could give it kind of some, you know, background and try to do as good a job as I could writing it. There's so many chilling moments, just those moments that, that grab you. And the one of the biggest ones for me is talking about Justice and his red hair and the Sullivan family, Jake and his wife, saying our biological children have red hair. We're being called. Yeah. We're being pulled to him. It just it, it gives me goosebumps just saying it there. So as you're going through and you're building this story and you're talking to the Sullivans and you're talking to Justice and, and going through the depths of it, how long does a story like this take for you and those conversations and the raw moments you're going through? Just how difficult does that have to be as a reporter? You know, it, it's really you, you got to you know kind of do the combination of really you know embracing and and sympathizing and going through that, but also kind of divorcing yourself to find the storyline. Mm-hmm. And I think the hardest thing with that is because it, it was you know several interviews. With several people, but I think the most challenging part for me was just simply trying to figure out what's the best angle to write it in, and what's the the most important part of this. And to me, it's even more than football. Which I mean, you know, he's a four star recruit and in a, a position and in a place where he, he's going to probably play right away. But just the fact that uh, you know he, his life was almost ended yes. before he even had a chance to right. come to the United States, and then. Here he is, kind of this act of, of mercy to some extent, but but you know they they felt called because of the red hair. I mean, of all the things, mm-hmm. you know, he, they looked at him as at an eight year old boy, and it, at that time it just seemed well that he's probably too old. But then the more they they looked into him and found him more out, it was just the more they felt called, and and I think that's something that's that's special, and you know whether. He, want to go the religious route or not but it certainly has an impact here and that's something that you know cannot be denied and i think really played an impact in why they decided to do this one more and then we'll get to what what had the historical day that uh, unfolded yesterday at, at uh, uh at carver hawkeye it was the relationship right that that uh, the justice uh formed with uh, with some of the coaches at the university of iowa the fact that they were the first in there that showed the most interest that um that got him to the university of iowa correct doc yeah they were the first one to offer him a scholarship and and loyalty and trust are really big with him, and I think that's a lot of his background. And and, and he went to you know he grew up in in Huxley and, and went to Ballard for a year and went to, uh, you know high school and then middle school before that. And you know so he'd been in, around Iowa State and he hadn't he didn't get a scholarship offer. They were kind of uh, you know they they just didn't go through with it. And and so at that point, um, Iowa was willing to take that step, and Iowa talked to him and, and told him exactly what he was doing, what he could do better and what he could do, you know, and what he was doing right. And that really resonated with him. And the fact that they offered him a scholarship really turned around. And I think what Jake said was, was kind of funny, not only the, the fact that it's Iowa, but just that, you know, they live in Eden Prairie and why not Minnesota? It's just down the road. But I think he's got a chance to, to be a special player at Iowa. I, I think he's probably... You know, he might be better suited off the edge um, because that's where he played the majority of his high school uh, minutes or snaps, and I think he's got a chance to be a, an impact player before it's all said and done. A great story, certainly worth the price of subscription for this month. It's at The Athletic right now. Scott Dockerman did it on Justice Sullivan. From there, Doc, we go to a current great in Iowa Hawkeye lore, and that is Luca Garza. 
the missed free throw, then the opportunity <laughs> to get the bucket at the rim on the pass from Bohannon. Uh, you don't see that happen very often from Luca Garza. Felt like the moment was almost too big for him as he was standing at the free throw line. Yeah, it was interesting because you, you saw him um, when they called a timeout and he was going to the free throw line, or, or I can't remember who called the timeout, but he, he said that's what he knew that it hit him, that this was what was mm. next. I mean, he had 12 points, he knew 13 to tie, 14 to, to set the record. And that's when it hit it, and then he said he was, he was really nervous at that point. He goes, he's really surprised, if anything, that, it, that he hit the first one. <laughs> he didn't think that one was going to go in. And then, of course, he airballed the second one, which he said he, he's never done in it before in his life. And I believe him because I haven't seen him do it, you know, from the free throw line. So, you know, that, that's what tied the record. But uh, you, you could tell the difference once he finally was able to get it done. And, and really a, an interesting uh, – you know, play that you saw Jordan Bohannon with a no look pass to him and, and go up and, and, you know, there's, there were again only 500 people, I guess, is how many they tried to count in, in there. And, uh, you know, it really, there was a lot of cheering when we scored. And it wasn't just because they went up 56 and four, it was, you know, because of the record and, and what it means. And 32 years later, I mean, it's broken mm. now by Luca Garza. And, and it's hard to say. I don't know if it's ever going to be broken again. Uh, Doc, help me out with this. And you too, Trent. And I, we talked about this when we first came on the air and promised to get back to it. We never did. So the goaltending call. Uh, yes. Uh, that Perkins was called for goaltending. Doc, there's one Hawkeye fan after another said that the ball hit the rim. I stopped it. I went back. I, I got, got it on Twitter. I watched it dozens of times. I can't definitively see that the ball hits the rim. Now, I might be the only one. Or I might be looking through it, you know, without uh, the cardinal and gold, or the cardinal, the black and gold glasses. Um, but the ball was clearly below the rim, so I can make the case on that point that it shouldn't have been goaltending. But did the ball hit the rim? I didn't see it hit the rim. I, I you know, it was really a big question to me. I thought that, uh, you know, it, it, it all happened so fast, and it was hard for us to see because it was actually at the other end of the. I don't know what I guess was in front of me. So I, I don't really know. I do know that, that uh, you know, I watched the officials closely when they went to the monitor right before halftime. I thought it was going to get pulled back, but it was probably, it seemed to be that if nothing else, it was one of those stanzas called. Uh-huh. <laughs> they couldn't reverse it. And um, I guess this is the second time this year, um, not nearly as important, but the second time this year they've gotten kind of ripped off by a, a goaltending call. And uh, so this one, you know, it did have impact for a while, though. I mean, going into yep. the locker room, and and there were a few other calls that I thought in the first yeah. half, especially that were a little bit question. You know, there was a a foul that was just ridiculous. So we uh, saw Fran get a technical late in the first half, and I think that followed the call Doc's referring to. Yes, there was uh, earlier in the half a timeout that was called after Penn State came roaring back. I was up nineteen six in this game, and then a ten nothing run from the Nittany Lions, and they were right back in it. Fran, uh, I don't know if he used a timeout or it was a media one regardless. Basically, I saw, I don't know, four, five, six media members, one of the few people in the building, say, Fran's letting him have it. So we know Fran can get fired up. There was one point where you could hear it on the television broadcast, but what it's like being in an arena of that size with a couple hundred people hmm. and then hearing Fran just go absolutely nuts. Well, it's been crazy in the past, and this one was really close to it. Yeah. Uh, you know, it was, it was probably in the top five or six that I've seen from Fran eruptions, and there have been serious ones. So uh, 
and and a lot of times in the arena, what they do during the, the timeouts, especially it just seems to coincide when he gets kind of fired up. You know that the the, the uh, PA announcer seems to get louder, so it's harder to hear. But but you could really hear him go. And you know at that point in the game, uh, you know whether it was their toughness was lacking or their execution or their mind wasn't into it or they felt the pressure of the whole situation with with Garza. I don't know, it, but you could tell that he needed to to kind of light into him. I mean, to me, I, I think the. The one that always stands out the most is that Wisconsin yeah. when he got tossed and went on four. And, and maybe uh, I was right in front of him when he threw down that chair at, at uh, Michigan State. That was probably stronger than yesterday's. But yesterday's was, was definitely a top five, top six moment. It it was it was pretty fiery. Uh, C.J. Frederick was terrific in the basketball game. I thought it was a huge three that he made after Bohannon nearly turned the ball over. And he's on the he's on the. Uh, on the ground, and he gets the timeout. Very few seconds left in the shot clock and just hit a massive three to extend the lead to nine instead of being Penn State basketball. Uh, following the game, I'm not sure if you guys had a chance to talk to CJ. Uh, he played 28 minutes, Doc. He had 18 points. I don't know if they win the basketball game yesterday if he doesn't play. Uh, how did he feel coming out of it? And uh, uh, do you refer, do you recall the the, uh, the sequence I'm referring to uh, where Bohannon uh, got that timeout on the floor? And it's, it's, I thought it was a maybe a game saving moment as it turned out in House Frederick. And you're right. I mean, I don't think they. You know, I, I don't know if they lose the game without him, but I don't know that they win it. I, I, he's just—he was such a, a force yesterday. I mean, hit his first three shots for eight points really early in the game. Um, it's a tough situation because he's got the uh, the whole uh, plantar fasciitis. That um, it's a day in day out thing. I mean, some days he feels okay, and other days it's, it's excruciating. I think anybody that's a runner or that's had it, it it's. They know exactly what you're talking about here, and and in his case, he was able to play through it and play well, obviously. And he just changes the game so much. I mean, when he's out there, he's he's a really good defender, an underrated defender. Uh, he spaces the floor. Everybody has to be cognizant of him on the floor because you know he was four or seven for three. It's just he, he just changes the offense. He spaces it out. He enables there to be more lanes for somebody like Garza. It's when he's not in there, then everybody clamps down on Garza and, and pretty much Bohannon and Wieskamp, and, and then it's up to other guys to make those shots. So, uh, you know, going forward, it, it's still kind of day-to-day. I think he wants to play every day, but it's also he got to respect what, how painful that foot injury is. So, uh, you know, it, it, you know he's, he's got – obviously, Iowa has two incredibly big games this yeah. week, and he's going to try to play, and if he can play – then that gives Iowa uh, a fighter's chance in both games that are on the road. It's a huge week. Two road games, Michigan, Ohio State. I don't know. There's no regular season title. They're fighting for a double bye, but it just feels like one of the biggest weeks in Iowa basketball in a really long time. It's hard to equate it. Regular seasons are all built differently, and it's not very often you get two games like this against top four teams within a week on the road, but is it hyperbolic to say this is the biggest week in Iowa basketball in, I don't know, going back maybe to that 15-16 team? Hmm. Yeah, that's that's a good point. And, you know, I guess we'd have to start talking about regular season because it's a difference. Yeah. And the postseason, of course. But, 
I yeah, I would probably agree with you on this because they are you know the top ten team now again, and and when you're playing two top ten opponents consecutively on the road, and both those teams right now are in contention for number one seeds, and I'd say Iowa's in contention for a number two seed. It's it's important, and it really kind of shows you what you're capable of going down the stretch. And and this is a team that that's you know struggled. I mean, it lost in, in a year with Ohio State hasn't played Michigan. Michigan's inside power is going to be really hard for mm-hmm. for Iowa to to replicate and to, and to defend against, and and then also compete against. But you know, so I think this week, if nothing else, it's not important from the fans of the tournament, because uh, unless Iowa loses both decisively, I can't see it falling out of, say, the top four seeds. But I think it's important to say, okay, this is how far Iowa is from being an elite team, a Final Four contender, versus, man, they got a, they got a lot of work to do in a short period of time. Doc, last thing for me, did, uh, did uh, Coach McCaffrey, uh, was he asked about Joe Toussaint's game yesterday? He had that, you know, that really, that tough sequence where he missed both free throws, uh, then he uh, turned the ball over, uh, then commits an offensive foul. Um, it just seems like they need to, he needs to slow it down a little bit, Doc, which is easier said than done, I guess. I guess. Uh, was he asked about Toussaint's game yesterday, and how does he fix him? Yeah, I he didn't. We didn't get a chance to do that. You have a short window of time after a game, and we have a historic moment. Sure, like I get it. That yep. Commanded most of the the conversation, but uh, you know, Joe has some work to do, and, it, and I think the more he presses, the more he puts himself into a hole. And yeah, he had that three play sequence there where he's just you know he got a traveling call, you know he, he missed two free throws, he, yeah, you know just. He, you know, had a turnover. He's just really struggling, you know. And you know, how does he back off of that? That that's really hard. I mean, I've seen players be able to do that and then rebound. I think Anthony Clements comes to mind, mm. and then other players have said, you know what, I, I I'm leaving. And so, I, you know, I'm not going to make a prediction on that. That's that's premature at best, and probably not good to do anyway. But I, I do think that it's. Uh, you know he he's got to get better because this team needs him. Mm-hmm. This team's got to get in a situation over the next few weeks, whether it's this coming two games, Big Ten tournament, NCAA tournament, where they're going to need an on-ball defender and somebody who's quick like him and can make those plays, get in the game and do something and affect the game in a positive way. And if he can't do it, and if he can't, you know, I mean he's a he's a minus right now on the floor. And if he can't do that, you're going to have to leave him off. And that's unfortunate because he's got the talent to compete, and we've all seen it. And, and again, they need it. They they need it if they want to get to where the, this season is, where they want to go. Congrats on the Justice Sullivan piece. Really, really well done. Good stuff, Scott Dockerman. Uh, anything you want to promote this week? Follow that up, Doc. Good luck. <laughs> yeah, thank you for that. Uh, I did write about the Garza's moment, which I don't write a lot of basketball, but I did today. And I think I'm going to take a look at some of the NFL draft prospects uh, since this would have been combine week in Indianapolis. So I'm going to take a look at some of those guys, uh, you know, probably midweek. And I've got a few other things I'm working on. But uh, by and large, this is a crucial week for basketball season. And uh, so we'll all be keeping our eyes on that. Thank you, Scott Dockerman. Appreciate you coming on. We'll talk to you in a week's time. Good to talk to you. Scott Dockerman from The Athletic. Good stuff on it, Doc. That is a really good piece. It is. I know people out there, media praising media, that you know gets under their skin a little <laughs> bit. But when deserve it like this, mm-hmm. 
That's a great read. Come back, finish up the program. Do you have a play? I have a play going on right now. So what are we betting in the morning time, Trent? Well, it's college hoops. Tyreek LaCour, former Des Moines Uh, North Polar Bear. Where's he at? North Alabama squad. He's at South Alabama. North Alabama's playing right now, though. They're losing to Liberty by 17. I got North Alabama in 14 and a half. Not Mm. looking good on that one. Thank goodness I didn't give that. But I do have a play coming up this evening that more people I'm sure are going to be on. Monday morning basketball and you're firing. Why wouldn't you? Be? Of course. I'm back. Finish things up. It's Miller and Condon on 1460 KXNO and 107. Trent Condon here for the Urology Center of Iowa. Well, I did it. I had my vasectomy procedure with the Urology Center of Iowa. It was quick, efficient, and I was in and out in less than a half hour. The big bracket for college hoops is coming out soon. If you want an excuse to chill on the couch while watching wall-to-wall basketball, then it's time to make the call to the Urology Center of Iowa to schedule your vasectomy. Call 515-400-3550 or online at iowauro.com. Vasectomies with the Urology Center of Iowa. And tell them you heard it on... All right, final couple of minutes here of a Monday. It's 1460 KXNO, 106.3 FM. All right, what's your play of the day, Trent Condon? And how did you do this weekend, first of all? I did great. I've been... Uh, let me look at so my... So do you fade? Are you, are you still feeling it? It's got to end at some point. Yesterday, 4-2. and two, The day before, 10-3. and three. Last seven days, I am 22-9-1 against Jeez. the number. Last 30 days... 132, 89, and 1. Boy, you're firing. That's uh, 59.7% of 40 units. I think the takeaway there is that's over 200 games bet last 30 days. Some people might say that's a problem. A few, a few. Uh, What's your play of the day? I am going to Pac-12 Hoops tonight, and it's actually on TV. It's USC, right? Yes. It's early, too, I think. Is it? Okay, I I didn't see the start time. I saw it was FS1. That's what I got excited about more than anything. No, 8 o'clock. Is it? 8 o'clock. I've told you about USC now a couple uh-huh. of different times. Mobley's. The Mobley kid, yeah, mm-hmm. his older brother. Right. He's okay, but it, the brother, the freshman, Evan, is a stud. I'm going to lay the three and a half against a pretty decent Oregon team. I think this is just going to be a fun game, though. And I've seen so little Pac-12 basketball in comparison to past years. Just Pac-12 network. Yeah, I know. The, look at the only time I saw Thursday Washington nights. State Stanford over the weekend just because I was waiting for Iowa State to start. That game went to triple overtime. Triple OT. Speaking of Stanford, their games they had to play in Santa Clara are now considered neutral site games as opposed to home games. Really? Now they go from two quadrant Isn't one victories to something? four. Cardinal in the tournament. There Perhaps. Yeah, maybe. We'll see. All right, Murph and Annie coming up at 2. The Fanatics at 4. Iowa State Coaches Show tonight at 6.30. Morning Rush tomorrow morning at 6 a.m. We're Miller and Condon weekdays 10 to noon on 1460 KXNO and 106.3 FM.